0: everyone welcome to run out radio i'm jerry Forsyth, alongside mike howerton and run out radio is brought to you by the good folks at tiger products and by the way uh Corey harper uh one of the big wigs at tiger had a wonderful u.s open he played uh played very very well defeated some big names and so congratulations go out to Corey. and we're also brought to you by predator cues and uh they've got a uh, several new lines of cues for you to check out, so make sure you check out
1: Predator.com. Um,
0: Mike, we just got back from the U.S. Open.
1: Yeah, we did. It's been a, it's been a long three weeks with, uh, World 10 Ball and then back home for a very short period of time, and it seemed extremely short with me not feeling well after the flight back from Manila. And then the U.S. Open, which is always a lot of fun. Um, Corey did well at the U.S. Open. Seems like there's always a handful of players that you don't expect to do well at that tournament who do. Um, Chris Zuter had a real good tournament this year. Uh, Donnie Mills had an, had an outstanding tournament.
0: Yeah, Donnie surprised a lot of people, and uh, I happened to sit near him uh, for a meal, and he said that uh, he was having a flashback to 10 years ago. So his flashback came at a very opportune moment.
1: You know, i got to mention something that really surprised me as far as the level of play at the tournament. You know, there was a little bit of controversy early on when Barry Berman announced that he was going to separate the players from the Kuwaiti team and the Filipino team throughout the brackets. Not all of the players, but eight of the players so that they wouldn't have to face each other early on in the tournament. I think most of the players didn't really mind too much when they were told that the Kuwaiti players were going to be separated. It was the Filipino players being separated that really uh, irked them a little bit. But what really surprised me was the level of play of the Kuwaiti players. I mean, these were not just, uh, you know, guys throwing their 600 in because they wanted to waste some time. These guys could play some pool yes
0: they could they, <laughs> you talk about some surprised faces uh, people getting beat by Kuwaiti players they had never heard of um, were extremely surprised but uh, let's give it to them the players in the Mideast uh, are, are following the game plan of the players from Europe uh, they work at their game they have coaches um, the effort paid off
1: oh yeah um, I watched one of the matches between one of the Kuwaiti players and uh, Marcus Huva. and and Marcus is a strong player. And some of the shots that the player from Kuwait came with, I, I believe the player was Al Mula. Uh, I mean, these were these were some great shots. The, the, he stayed calm. He he ran racks. Uh, there were some small problems as far as uh, translation and. Let's be honest, there were a couple of problems as far as the people skills uh of some of the members of the Kuwaiti contingent, but on the pool table, they stood with everybody else,
0: yeah, they've got to give them a hand that's all that's all you can do they uh, they virtually come out of nowhere in the pool world, and all of a sudden they're they're going to be a force
1: that they very well could be um. I mean, you and I have been to some of the international events, and I haven't noticed a whole lot of players from Kuwait there, so I didn't expect that much from them, but they sure did. Um,
0: well, you know, I do have a. I am a bit curious about that Kuwait label because I know that one of the players, uh, Al Howry, uh, is actually from the United Arab Emirates. So I'm wondering if they just got together as a group, uh, uh, some players throughout the Middle East, and and represented Kuwait in the U.S. Open.
1: That could very well be. Well, we have a new champion. Uh, was it, Barry mentioned it in the finals, the eighth year in a row that we've had a, a new champion who had never won the event before.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember a string this long without having a repeat champion.
1: Um, but
0: what a great champion we've got in Mika Eminent. I mean, class act.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mika, you had to feel good for him. I haven't been to every U.S. Open. I mean, I haven't been to as many as you've been to, uh, and I'm not taking a shot at your age or anything like that, yes, although yes, you did, you did celebrate okay. a birthday. You've been covering this game longer than I have. Uh, but I was there in 2001 when Mika, I mean, let's be honest, was crushed by Corey and the soft break in the finals. Um so it was. It felt good to see Mika get that monkey off his back. I'm sure it. Uh, I'm sure it meant a lot to him.
0: Yeah, that was quite a monkey uh, to get off your back. I mean, he was. He's the only player in the history of the Open who's ever been whitewashed in the finals, and yet he was able to uh, put that away and come back and win it. And by the way. Mika Eminem is going to be our guest later on in the show. So stick around. We're going to have a nice talk with our new champion.
1: Yeah, we appreciate him taking time out from uh, celebrating his U.S. Open win and also celebrating that he and Nils uh, were named the fourth and fifth players for the Moscone Cup European team.
0: Yeah, so we still have some players to be named on the U.S. side. Uh, Those are going to come in just a few days. We will know those shortly. Uh, but let's get back to the U.S. Open because Barry had some news. Um, <laughs> he's he's decided that he's going to get out of the pool room business. He's going to sell Q Masters, and anybody who would like to buy one of the legendary rooms in America, um, and just uh, call up Q Masters in Virginia Beach and ask to talk to Barry Berman because the place is for sale, and Barry has decided to become uh, an evangelist for pool and he's going to do um, whatever he can to assist the, uh, the pro game in America, and time will tell what that will be, but right now we seem to have quite a few saviors running around.
1: Yeah, we do. Um, everybody is the, the savior of the game, and, and everybody is doing it for the love of pool. There's an awful lot of things that take place in this game that are um, credited to for the love of pool that I kind of have to question a little bit. Um,
0: I'm sorry, but I hate to hear that phrase. I don't want anybody doing it for the love of pool. I want people doing it for a profit.
1: Yeah, well, um, with Cue Masters being for sale for two and three quarter million dollars, at least we know that that would be sold for a profit.
0: Yeah. Um at the same time that 's less than two years' sales uh, for that outlet, so uh, if you think you can keep those sales up, jump on in there and grab it um, he, he does have a great location
1: well and and to be fair, I listened to to barry 's speech there at the end of the open, and he reminded everyone that Q Masters was for sale and that the players really needed someone to step up and do something for them and that he was going to try to be that person. And that all sounds well and good. What The comment that jumped out at me the most was Barry saying that he's going to do everything he can here in America and hopefully that uh, growth and positive movement will trickle down to the rest of the world. Um, the rest of the world doesn't need positive movement trickling down to them we need positive things that are going on in the rest of the world trickling down to us
0: exactly when we start having four hundred thousand dollar tournaments
1: we can start thinking about the trickle down theory Um,
0: but frankly with the uh, I'm not all that fond of trickle down because I've just suffered through eight years of trickle down
1: economics (laughs) so I'm I'm ready for
0: a different term
1: you know while we're talking about the game and and where it's at and, and I certainly don't want to get off on that tangent again on this show, but something jumped out at me recently that I thought was interesting um, you know the fans of the game they always want to compare pool to golf, which we've said on this show before is not a fair comparison I mean that's like right. that's like trying to win the u s open at the age of four um mm-hmm. I've always thought that a better comparison would be between billiards and bowling. Right. Well, part of what I do to make a living, because run-out radio doesn't pay all my bills, um, is I'm the webmaster for Luby Publishing. And Luby Publishing prints Billiards Digest and Bowler's Journal. So I do work for Bowler's Journal. I really don't bowl. I don't care too much for the game, but... As part of what I do, I have to do uh, website updates for their bowling magazine, and they have what is called a cyber report that goes out every week to their subscribers, and it basically talks about ideas on how to make your uh, bowling center a success and positive things that are going on in the industry it's really a refreshing change from what you see on the billiard side of thing because on the billiard side of thing it's like uh, an eight-year-old mentality of this is mine mine, 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 mine you can't have any I don't want you to be a success and I'll be a bigger success when I put you out of business yeah
0: that's always been the most disturbing mindset in pool which is the, the pie is only so big, and I want all of it. I'm not going to let you have a piece. Instead of, let's work together and see if we can make the pie bigger, and then the pieces that we both have will be bigger than the entire pie that existed before. I, um, I, I, it's, cooperation is something that has just never gone on, in, in this in this field and uh, it's uh, I don't know I, I don't see it happening now I, I don't see anyone who's just opening their arms to everyone and saying come on in let's do it I see people who have launched ventures and they're saying okay this is the way we're going to do it yeah
1: and yeah. Um, I make the rules
0: yeah I make I make the
1: rules I make all the rules if you don't like the rules uh, get out yeah, but and, uh, but but know. keep in mind, you know, they're making the rules, and if and if no one likes those rules, they don't have to play. But they're doing it for the love of the game. Right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how the saviors do. Uh, I've I've uh, I I am of little faith, uh, but we'll see.
1: Yeah. Well, back to the U.S. Open. Um, our new champion, Mika Eminen, Ronnie Alcano, has now been to two different finals two years in a row. He's fallen short both times. Um, not seeing a whole lot of press releases from the uh, the press machine out of the Philippines right now about Alcano. Uh,
0: no, and I'm, I'm a little surprised uh, because second place in the U.S. Open is, uh, you know, that's that's not a bad finish. <laughs> That's uh, that's pretty newsworthy in my world.
1: Yeah, um, it's it's just got to be rough. I mean, ever since winning, was it the World Eight Ball Championship, the last major title that Ronnie has won? Uh, yes. I mean, you just know that that he's aching to win another major, and he just comes close and doesn't make it.
0: Yeah. Um... But, you know, I I certainly think Ronnie Alcano is going to be around for a long, long while. Uh, I watched his stroke uh, the final day, and earlier in the week his stroke had been a little, well, by his standards, clumsy. But he worked on it, and by uh, by, by finals day, his stroke was just gorgeous. I mean, it was just something to behold, Uh, uh, to see something that smooth. And to see a cue stick accelerate that, just just that beautifully through the through the plane of the cue ball, it's just not something you see very often. So I really expect to see a lot more of of Ronnie uh, on down the road, particularly if we can get these political tensions that are going on in the Philippines behind us. And uh, you know, like you say, we just came from the World Ten Ball event where uh, Ronnie and company boycotted the event and. it was it was a shame they decided to do that because the event was a success uh, uh, anyway. At any way. so all they did was cost themselves money. But um, you know, I guess you and I are both pretty upset about the the way that the politics in the world of pool are working out. It seems like uh, no two factions are, are cooperating together. Everybody's at odds.
1: Yeah, and I didn't really understand what the what the point was in the players from the Philippines boycotting the event. If you feel that strongly, and this is just my opinion, if you feel that strongly about what's going on in the Philippines and not being in agreement with it, then why would you not take the opportunity to have the largest audience possible go ahead play in the event and win it? Because at the That's end, right. they're going to hand you a microphone. Exactly.
0: At the end, they hand you a microphone. And they, they missed that opportunity uh, simply because they assumed the same, frankly, infantile attitude that we, we see all the time in the world of pool. of, of uh, We're either going to do it my way or no way at all. Um, and uh, we, we know what's right and you don't. And uh, so they mess up an event, or at least they try to. And now even, it, it's, it's all this dirty campaigning that upsets me the most. This uh, this is like an American political campaign where a candidate can't talk about himself. He's got to talk bad about the other guy. And uh, that's, that's what I see a lot coming out of the Philippines is they don't, they're not bragging on what they're going to do and what they are doing and the steps they're making and the progress they're making. Instead, they're just throwing knives at the other guy. And frankly, I think it's time for all that to stop. Let's, let's get pool back on a positive track. Let's take all this black air and evacuate it from the room. Let's, let's get rid of it. And uh, we're, we're not going to move forward uh, by holding people back.
1: No, I mean, there's not enough money going around to, even for, I mean, not to not to to try to pick out certain players who are part of this Filipino contingent, but let's face it, Efren, Bustamante, and Alcano are really the top, well, and, and Orcoyo. I mean, those have got to be the top four names in this group that boycotted the, uh, the event in the Philippines, and even if you're one of those players, there's not enough money in pool, for you to be able to afford to turn down the possibility of a $100,000 payday. Exactly. And and I'm not saying that either one of those four players was a lock to win that event. There, No one was a lock to win that event. I mean, Darren had to play absolute top-level 10 ball uh, in order to win that event. But either way, they were most likely going to finish in the cash. Right. Well, um, speaking of the Filipino players, uh, Warren Kianko, who really, prior to the U.S. Open, was known more for his bar table game than his big table game, uh, turned in a third place finish at the Open. He knocked Johnny Archer out. Uh, Johnny finished in fourth. Uh, Jerry, I wasn't really expecting that kind of a game from uh, Warren. You know, I've, <clears throat> I've watched
0: Warren play for a lot of years, and When he has a strong week, he has a very strong week. Uh, He's definitely got the physical skills. Um, And Warren is such a shy man. I mean, he he doesn't stand up and shout about what a great pool player he is. He just comes to the table and plays. And I think that's what happened. That's why he surprised so many people this week. He's understated. Uh, you, you don't hear about him the way you do uh, a, a Reyes or a Bustamante or an Alcano or Coyo. Uh, or but he's there, and uh, he plays such a solid game. He can knock anybody off the box at any time.
1: Well, and it was, it was almost an all-Filipino final. Um, he trailed in that match to Mika, and all of a sudden he put it together, and at 9-9... He overrolled his shape on a two ball and got two straight in and that was really the end when when he when he sh- missed that two ball because he was trying to force the cue ball uh, up table for the three, you could just see from his reaction that he knew even at nine nine now i 'm done and did you notice after the file or after that match that he played with Mika where he lost? That he set the shot back up, and I expected he was going to set it back up and try it himself, but instead he set the shot up, and he asked Mika what he would have done in that position.
0: yeah, we need to ask Mika about that when we talk to him because well, a couple of things one, that surprised me, but it, it the biggest surprise was when he missed the shot, when he cheated the pocket and missed the shot because when I saw that shot, you know when I saw him get out of line on the two, my reaction was. Well, that's no big deal. He draws back a few inches, and he can take the long shot into the corner pocket. And it's certainly not that challenging a shot, and it doesn't uh, prevent him from getting shape on the next shot. When he asked the cue ball to do too much and missed it, um, well, I was as shocked as he was, because that was only you know he was only a foot away from the cue ball, and and the object ball was a foot away from the pocket.
1: Yeah, well, I imagine that arm's got to get tight at 9-9 playing Mika trying to get to the finals. Obviously, it does. You know, something else, uh, another conversation that I had, which it kind of uh, goes back to the pool in the Philippines, uh, I was talking to Oscar Dominguez, who also had a very good tournament at the U.S. Mm-hmm. Open. Um, now, Oscar went to the World Ten Ball Championship. Uh yeah he didn't do all that well in the tournament and my understanding is he spent some evenings at one side and he didn't do very well in uh... those evenings either but he made an interesting comment he said that they had lost x number of dollars over in the philippines gambling but he said he felt so good about his game when he came back because he said they played the game so different in the philippines they played shape different He said he's willing to go to the Philippines. He'd like to go right now and lose some more money gambling if he can continue to learn about the game at the rate that he was learning about it during that week when he was there a couple weeks ago.
0: Yeah, was it Oscar or another player who said that his physical game improved 25% and his
1: middle game improved 35%? I believe that was Oscar. Uh,
0: That's quite a statement from a great player.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and and it showed. I mean, he had a very good U.S. Open. Um, If your game can improve like that, then maybe we should all take a trip over there.
0: Yeah, and you know, one of the things he said (coughs) that I didn't have time to get into detail on, but I would at some point, he said that they play the game so differently. They play position differently. I'd like an explanation of that. What does he mean by differently?
1: Well, I, I asked him a little bit, you know, I asked him to elaborate on that a little bit, and what he did mention was they don't move the cue ball nearly as much over there, which might have to do with the conditions, with it being so humid and, and the tables not being recovered as often as as maybe some other uh, rooms in the in the world would do so. But he said they settle for a lot more shots, maybe they shoot, short side shape more than uh, you would see, but it works for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it definitely works for them. Yeah, and, you know, you hear the tales of the tables over there that are, <clears throat> the cloth is worn through to the slate and that sort of thing, so maybe under those conditions you just don't ever learn to slow roll a ball or to try and, and, and roll out three rails to a, to, a, to a precise position. Maybe you do. Uh, play more of a Buddy Hall style game where you're moving the cue ball six and eight inches.
1: Yeah, I mean we noticed it with the Filipino players there at the Open. They they don't go for a short, you know, a, a small window. They'll they'll settle for letting the cue ball roll and and leaving a, a tougher cut. But right. I mean they've got the ball making ability that they can do that.
0: Yeah, no doubt.
1: Well, something that uh, that jumped out at you. I know you mentioned it numerous times at the Open. We were doing real time scoring which meant that one, if not both of us, was up in the stands for every match of every day. Um, You noticed multiple times top players, world champions, not moving their beads after games.
0: An average of three times a day for seven days. So we saw it happen more than 20 times. And Many of these were were very well known players. I mean, champions of the game, big names, uh, who would win them. You know, sink the nine ball and go sit down and grab their break cue and start rubbing the shaft of the break cue with a towel, and get up and break and never move the bead. And you know, I knew it happened, but I didn't know it happened that often. And as an aside on this, I talked to some people in Canada yesterday. They were using our real-time scoring. They In several pool rooms, get this, Mike, I had not told you about this. They would have our real-time scoring up while they're messing around in the pool room, and guys would bet on who would win the next rack of a certain <laughs> match. And this was a, became a very popular, fun thing. They enjoyed our real-time scoring because they could bet on who would win the next rack. Well, a couple of times, I put scores up that the players never moved the beat on, so I had to go back and reduce the score. I'm wondering how that affected the gambling in
1: Canada. (laughs) Nice. Well, it it was a lot of fun. Um I mean, the real-time scoring, it it seemed to be real popular, and uh, we've gotten some suggestions from some members of the forums as to things that we can do to improve it in the future, and um, I've got some ideas for some things we can do, but Lord knows I'm not ready to do real-time scoring at an event again anytime soon.
0: That's a lot of work, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it was I would say that it was more work than I thought it would be, but no, I really did think it was going to be that much work. Uh but it was still worth it. Um it's something I've been wanting to do on the site for a long time and the US Open was the perfect tournament to do it at. Right. Yeah. Well, Jerry, there was uh there was one more thing I wanted to mention before we get to Mika. And really, I mean, he's just celebrating winning the US Open. He's not doing anything else. We can leave him on hold for a little while. Yeah. Um, it's been a little while since we've done a show and since our last show I've gotten uh, my new copy of Billiards Digest um, our friends over at Billiards Digest and in the particular issue that I'm looking at, there was a little three question interview with Allison Fisher in the front of the magazine okay. and part of the question was territory that I wasn't going to go to uh, and it was her 2 and out finish at the US Open a couple of months ago and right. when I saw it happen, I thought, there's something going on there. And, you know, Allison, either she's not feeling well or something like that. But I'm certainly not going to ask her. Well, fortunately, our friends at Billiards Digest did. And it, what I found really interesting, she answered that she knew it was going to happen one day or another. You know, that she was going to have a real bad performance. She was going to go to and out at an event. And that she had had some bad news, and that was kind of in her mind, and she had some unrelated business that she had to attend to really quickly. So basically, she just had a lot of distractions, and that caused her to get out of focus. Mm -hmm. Now, that's fine, and many a player could answer that question just like that and be done, but not Allison. She goes on in the answer and says the other side of it is that I played two great players, Iris Ranola and Sarah Rousey, who had two great days. There are times that you run into people like Iris Ranola who are unseated, who in time will be seated, and Iris went on to the finals, and Sarah Rousey has beaten every top player. I just look at it and say, well, there are times when I was under pressure and maybe I made some bad choices, and hopefully you do better next time what really struck me about that answer is that's what makes Allison Fisher, Allison Fisher. How many players would stop to say, you know what, it wasn't just that I played poorly, but my two opponents played very well and turn that spotlight back on them because this tournament was not about Allison Fisher. Sure, she didn't do very well, but she wasn't the story. The story was Iris Ranola and Sarah Rousey combining to two-and-out Allison Fisher. That's why, in my opinion, she is a classy player and always will be, even if she goes two-and-out for the rest of her career.
0: Couldn't agree more. Um, so many players, when they lose, you'll hear them say, oh, my opponent got so lucky every time he missed. He'd roll up safe. I was just coming to the table kicking all the time. That couldn't happen again in a million years. Uh you know, Allison's not afraid to stand up and uh, uh, show her character and say, you know what, they played good.
1: Well, I think the as much as we talk about the game and the negative things going on in it, I just think that if we had more players, and we do have quite a few players on the WPBA like Allison, um, mm-hmm. you know, the game would be in a better place. Yeah, there's no
0: doubt about that, Mike. And... There's also no doubt about that we have kept Mika Eminen hanging long enough. Uh, we need to get to our U.S. Open champion. Mika, how are you doing today?
2: Hey, Jerry, how are you doing? Hi, Mike. Real What's good. up?
0: Good. Mika, you've just won the U.S. Open championship, and that was a, uh, I know that was a challenge for you. It was something you've always wanted to do. Uh, my first question, though, is... How did it feel to step back into that championship pit at the US Open? The last time you were there, uh things didn't turn out so well.
2: Yeah, I know. I uh you know, naturally I had it in the the back of my mind that it didn't go that well last time. But uh I think I was I was ready this time and I was I was prepared and I was uh I was uh, more relaxed than than usual when I go into the final.
1: Uh, for some some reason, I felt like, you know, this is going to be my, near, my year. Well, Mika, at one time, uh, you were leading Ronnie five zero six zero. Did the thought ever enter your mind that you might do the same thing to him that Corey had done to you back in 01?
2: Yeah, it actually uh, kind of like brushed my mind for a brief moment. But then... Uh, I wanted to get rid of that thought real quick because uh, I didn't want that to be, um, like a goal in that match because, you know, you're kind of setting yourself for a disappointment there. Because he, all he needs to do is take one rack and then, and then that's, that's that. So, uh, I didn't want it to be an, a factor of importance in that match and I just wanted to play solid and, uh, you know, keep, uh, keep a comfortable lead and, uh, you know kind of just uh, take care
1: of business you seem to be taking care of business just about all tournaments i mentioned to jerry maybe on day three or day four that you really seem to be playing at a different level than most of the other players in the tournament was there some reason that you felt more comfortable at this tournament than other tournaments in the past
2: i don't know but um i know that i've been pretty consistent at the u.s open and and this time specifically, I could say that yeah, I've been I've been working on my game. i I've been uh, working on my my physical condition a lot, and I I just felt in in tune with with the tables and balls, and, and you know the, my my um, everything came together pretty well, and I I really felt confident the whole tournament. I, I felt like you know as soon as we get started, I I'm just gonna take a lead and take charge in the game and and then the guy's going to have to be trailing. Uh,
0: Mika, you, you really didn't seem to have too much trouble with your opponents early in the week. You seemed to master uh, everybody you went up against. You took early leads, and you held those leads uh, through your matches. Then when we got into the final, um, you continued that with a nice 11-7 to 7 victory over over Johnny Archer, uh... then you got sent to the left hand side of the bracket by ronnie alcano uh... that was your first defeat of the week
2: is there yeah, any kind
0: um, mental adjustment you have to go through once you've been beat to get back on track
2: yeah i was thinking about that match uh... and uh... when i when i go back i was actually a little bit uh... i felt a little bit uncomfortable i think i wasn't really awake in that match and uh, you know, I, my my arm wasn't really relaxed. I was playing too careful and too nervous. You know, kind of like cautious pull when you're like really supposed to, uh, you know, be firing and relaxed and just like you know, um, play the way that, that I've been playing the whole week. So that was a that was one match that uh, I could afford being still on the winners' side, and then it's not the final. So uh,
0: right.
2: I'm lucky that uh, that you know I had a chance to redeem myself and and against uh, Warren. You know, before before I played Warren, I made sure I I hit some uh, a lot more balls between that match and Warren's match. So uh, I was just like hitting long shots and hitting some uh, wing shots and just you know trying to get my arm loose and then uh, you know wake up my. My hand-eye
0: coordination. Um, yeah. Before we go any further, I should say for our listeners that you you may in the background be hearing a Finnish jukebox. That's, that's what that that sound you're hearing is. Yeah. The match against Warren Kianko, that one was close, eleven to nine. Did you feel yeah. confident all the way through that match, or was it something that you just caught a gear at the end and, and oh. felt better?
2: Well, I felt comfortable the whole match. Uh it, it got a little scary because it went to nine nine. Uh I think I was up nine five and you know, I thought I was gonna run away with it, but then uh went, made a terrific comeback and he was he seemed to have found uh, the you know, the proper way the table was breaking and uh you know, just taking care of business as usual and um I was just waiting for an opportunity maybe if I get any chance to get back in the game, I gotta, I gotta close it out because this guy was getting more and more comfortable. And uh, to my uh, luck, he uh, he happened to get really straight on that one two ball there at the end rail, and then he uh, was trying to get too perfect on the three. He was he was worried about the position on the three to get to the four. So uh, I think he uh, kind of jumped up on that shot and uh, rattled it and uh, left me a pretty easy easy out on the last break. I already figured out how the table's breaking, so um, as long as it's a consistent rack, you know, I felt like uh, the wing ball going to go in, and that's exactly what happened, and I had a good layout and uh, just took it down.
1: Mika, Jerry and I were talking about that shot earlier. Um, when Warren got straight in on that two ball, I mean, it was a, it was kind of a testy shot, and he tried to, he tried to punch it in so he could come off the rail for the three. But what I found the most interesting is right after the match was over, he set the shot back up again to look at it, and then he asked you something like, was there another way he could have played it, or, or something like that. I've never seen that deep in a tournament, another pro player ask his former opponent what he should have done in that spot. Is that what happened?
2: Yeah, yeah that's exactly what happened, and I was I was kind of surprised as well, and I, I thought it was, well, if anything else, it, it was quite humble of him to ask like that, you know, just, uh, maybe he was just so confused that, man, you know, I, I really had it, but then I blew it, so it, it was just like, what would you have done, and I, I just told him that, I would have drawn back maybe a foot and uh, played the three in the long corner on uh, the left corner instead of trying to get perfect for the right corner because I thought that the left corner was a much bigger pocket as long as you uh, aim for the, the left point, you know, it's still, if you play at pocket speed, it's going to go in no matter what. So um, I think he made a wrong choice and he he actually agreed with me that, you know, that is
1: that is true. So, Ronnie Alcano, Ronnie Alcano is uh, is 0-2 now. He's made it to the finals the last two years of the U.S. Open, which is a tournament that I'm sure any pro player wants to win. What's going through his mind right now, do you think, after, after being beaten a second time in the finals? Yeah, he
2: must be uh, quite devastated. I mean, uh, I don't know what's worse, uh, losing one final 11-0 or losing two finals in a row um yeah i don't want to trade places with him for sure but uh i mean in the end he he does have a very consistent game and it's uh it's really it's a testament to his game that he can make it that far two years in a row but it's not it's not very uh it's not fun
0: Mika, what is going on with European pool? I mean, all of a sudden this year, Europe owns all the world championships and the U.S. Open. And it yeah. was years ago that Europe just wasn't that strong, but all of a sudden they seem to be the powerhouse of the world.
2: It's it's really crazy right now. I, I'm uh, you know I was talking about it to my you know fellow European players and. It, uh, it's amazing that we we just basically snapped off every major title this year. Um, I don't know what what what's the reason for this, or you know, is, is there like a surge in our pool, or is it just like our top players are getting more consistent? Um, but but it's it's a very good sign for us, and and it's uh, I'm sure it's gonna you know uh, be uh, encouraging for other European young players you know coming up on the on the European tour perhaps there's really a chance chance to uh, make it a
1: professional in the in the, the sport well, Mika you had mentioned uh, in your speech after winning the US Open that you felt you had to snap off the US Open to really be a lock for Moscone Cup and I see from my email this morning that um, you and nils have been named as the fourth and fifth players on the european moscone cup team uh can you tell us what that's like?
2: yeah that's really uh i don't know i mean i'm still kinda i'm still kind of speechless i uh, even the u s open hasn't really sunk in and i'm I'm you know good news good news keeps coming you know on top of each other so uh of course I'm like really relieved. To get back on the team, you know, and I, I really felt like uh, part of my motivation to win the U.S. Open was to prove that I belong there, and uh, now it's become reality. So um, it, it's really great. I mean, I'm, I'm very grateful to have a uh, had a chance to still uh, make it back, and then uh, you know, prove to myself and 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 uh, the rest of the world that I can still do it. <laughs>
1: Well, I don't think there was ever really a doubt that you belonged on the Moscone Cup team. It's, it seems like it's always tougher to choose the European players than the American players for that.
2: Yeah, it, it is very difficult to pick a European team for the Moscone because there's so many great European players right now. I mean, you have uh, all those players from Germany. You have uh, Thorsten and you have Engert, you have uh, Ortman, you have Suke, and... Uh, Well, you have to narrow it down somewhere, and you can't have too many guys from the same nation. And uh, also, for one thing, it's for sure that the top European-ranked player gets automatically the card for the Moscone, so that was Mark Gray. Then uh, Suke was a pretty good, clear choice because he won the eight-ball championships. And then uh, Tony Drago was MVP last year, so those three were... Uh, very simple choices, and then the the last two was uh, between uh, pretty much between me and Niels and Darren Appleton. But I guess they they, uh, you know, I I got the definite spot because the U.S. Open was pretty much the biggest nine-ball title this year. And then uh, I guess Niels won over Darren because of his uh, consistency, he won the straight four by he was also in a lot of. Top, top three positions in some major tournaments, so I guess uh, consistency paid off this time.
1: Mika, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like on the European side of things, you know, you mentioned that Mark Gray was the number one player, it seems like there's a new face on top of the European pool scene each year, I mean... I don't think most fans expected Daryl Peach to win the World 9 ball, and prior to World 10 ball, I'm not sure if anyone knew who Mark Gray was. I mean, is there that much talent over there just waiting to be discovered?
2: Maybe it is, I don't know. Um, I, I think we have yet to see uh, Mark Gray's uh, true play, you know, um, because on the European tour, I mean, you know, it's a it's, uh, they play under a little different conditions. Uh, the pockets are pretty easy, and, and the brakes being like you know, the, you can break from the side and you can break soft, and you know, just uh, pretty much uh
3: it's,
2: it's, hard, it's hard to say that you know, if, if it is uh, what caliber he is. He played great with the Darryl Peach at the, the World Cup of Pool, so it, you know, that kind of. You
3: know,
2: you know, answered some questions, but I'm still, you know, he seems like a nice guy, and he's, he's got solid technique, and but I've uh, I haven't really seen him enough to uh, really make my uh, assessment on his game.
1: You struggled a bit at the uh, at the World Cup. Is that format as hard as it appears to be?
2: Yeah, it might be hard, you know, especially if you're playing with a player that doesn't uh, have the same rhythm think maybe uh peach might be a little slower than him and you know it's kind of like the same thing happened to me and i was a little off beat with the uh, Yuva because he plays so much slower than me you know? so um could be hard so that you know even that tournament doesn't really you can't really make evaluations on on how players are playing because it just doubles and it's team effort
0: Mika I asked this question of all the champions, so I'm going to ask it of you as well. Uh, for the benefit of, I'm honored. Of, <laughs> yeah, for the benefit of people who want to improve their game, when you want to work on your game, what do you do? Do you do practice drills, or do you just put racks together and and break them and run them? Um, what, what do you do to to try and improve your your pool play? <laughs>
2: Well, um, I I don't do that many drills. I mean, if I'm really out of stroke, I might you know do do some drills. Although I found, find find uh, there's there's one um, drill that's interesting. You know, putting balls on the rails and you know trying to you know put one on each diamond and uh, try to run them out. That's uh, you know, and then you could put two also on the on the, one of the head spot, one on the foot spot. And you know, alternate between uh the balls on the rail and then the balls on the spots and the you know, the spot ones you take up every time and respot but then the ones on the rails you you uh just keep them down. And that that drill is just a you know, is it, it, extremely hard to do in one try but I've you know done it of course, you know, because I'm stubborn. So uh <laughs> you know, but it, it took a couple of tries, definitely. But it, it, it's it's one good drill. And then uh, I like playing straight ball if I unless I have some uh, opponent to play nine ball with. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, for me, you know, I think um, one of my, uh, I guess, uh, perks with my attitude is that I can play with somebody that is maybe not of equal. Um, skill, you know even like a, a weaker player but then you know still hold my own game because I'm just I just wanna run out you know
3: right.
2: so uh, I might play with somebody more you know inexperienced and then it's, it's not gonna pull me down and that's actually one of the two things to have uh, in your game that you you don't get pulled down even if you know even top players have a bad day so if you're playing with somebody who's playing really bad you, you still have to maintain your own game. So uh, right. I've seen quite a few players just uh, start playing as bad as the other guys. So my thing is just yeah. to keep my own thing. You know. Well, if I can
0: ask you one more question, um, you still have quite a few years of playing ahead of you. But have you given any thought to what you do when your playing career comes to an end? What, what your plan does Niko Eminen make? And not
2: well i think i'm always going to play pool because uh, i really i love the game so um it's important to have that passion after maybe you know maybe 20 years from now I, i'll narrow down to you know just go to certain major tournaments and then uh try to kick back and you know have a have a life you know live half the year um somewhere in a nice exotic destinations and go to the beach and you know hopefully by that time i have some investments that uh, are generating some uh, passive income so you know hopefully yeah hopefully i can be a little bit lazier then
0: <laughs> mika you are in a twilight zone for pool players because you are a european player who lives in the United States.
3: Tell me about it. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> I, so, I know this question. To explain to our listeners,
3: <laughs>
0: you can you do not play on the Euro Tour, so you cannot qualify for world championships and other invitations from the European Federation. And yeah. you don't have a US passport, so you can't qualify for world championships in the US unless you're the number one ranked foreign player every single year have you given any thought to either making the trip across the pond and playing in enough euro tour events to qualify under their ranking system or b getting a u.s passport so that you can qualify under the bpa
2: well i'm actually uh, going on monday to my green card interview which uh, ah. i I'm expect to uh go through you know, so uh, I'll, I'll have a legal residency quite soon, but uh, I don't think that would qualify me for a category. You know, for the rankings. So, but you know, five years from now I can apply for a dual citizenship. So, um, you know, then it might might get a little easier. Um, on the other hand, I'm always going to play for Europe, so don't even don't even ask that question.
0: Are you <laughs> sure? Because once you yeah. get a U.S. passport, I I, I, no, I can't I can't.
2: Player. No, I can't I can't do that. It's just like a grin against against uh, all my principles. Uh, I know Earl joked about it a few years ago, but uh, you know, I couldn't uh, I couldn't look my fellow Europeans in the eyes if I did that. Be funny joke though, maybe play a little prank with them.
0: Well, I don't know that it's even a joke because you'd be the first player ever. To play for both the European team and the American team in the moscone Cup oh so I that.
2: should just do it for the record well yeah, and anyways yeah i am I am in a little tough spot there when it comes to uh, getting positioned for the uh world championships et cetera yeah, you are. Uh, but I, I managed to uh you know squeak in there uh the past few years anyway i mean I, I was I was a world champion and that, uh, at some point, and that entitled me to, like, five, I think, five years of guaranteed spots. And then after that, I, uh, I was in the quarterfinals, and I was uh, still uh, pretty consistent at the, the world championship So I'll, if you get into top 16, you're guaranteed the next year or so. Yeah. And this is uh, what has happened even uh, the last time. So the next time I'm guaranteed as well. And uh, I, you know, I, I feel like I enjoy a good uh, relationship with the matchroom sports. And, then you know, if it, if it would happen that I didn't have a spot, maybe I could, you know, still get a wild card. But
3: uh,
2: I prefer, prefer not to be in that position, of course. But And I think, in all honesty, European Federation should, should give me some credit for... For my uh... consistent ranking position in, in america i don't, I don't understand the, you know that they're there so jealous that i play only uh, mostly in the states but i live there and uh... I'm it's too expensive to travel back across you know europe and america back and forth considering what kind of price money they have on the european tour and also on top of that um, i uh... Choose not to go there because the they have not been able to uh, bring us uh, tight tight uh, tables for the European tour. So I don't want to take a chance going there and then lose to, to some some goofball who can uh, you know run any rack if you just have a ball in sight. Yeah. So that's why European tour like uh, there's inconsistencies there because. The pockets are big. They, you know, like, Ralph finally won two in a row, which is amazing. Because you also have to be lucky to win two in a row, because the pockets are big.
0: Yeah. Well, I do understand there's a new European player organization being formed. That to address
2: very yeah, the, this organization is, is uh, actually addressing some of those problems on the tour. So I hope that really they pull through and I'm, I'm in support with them and I'm, I'm also part of that organization.
1: Mika, I understand that in addition to all the tournaments that you've been playing in, you've also been working on a set of instructional DVDs. Can you tell us uh, when those are due out and uh, what those will include?
2: Yes, yeah, so it's actually a coincidentally it's a, it's a great timing to come out with the pool DVD, instructional DVD, and it's uh, it's called Mastering Pool. You can also check out a trailer um, on Um, mastering-pool.com. It's a series of three DVDs, and it it has pretty much everything from, uh, you know, just like basic equipment and what stands and just really a lot of basics you know in the first volume and then it gets a little bit more intermediate and then um even advanced so um it also and it also features some uh, 3d animation which is which is a new thing on a on a pool instructional dvd so uh, it'll go from live picture into a 3d view and it, it will even uh, have a rotated views which you know happen uh, like the, the, there would be one camera angle and then it might switch 90 degrees or 180 degrees uh, kind of like a slow motion in, in matrix movies when they have the guy jump in the air and then it just goes all the way outside so it it's kind of like it really makes you uh, feel like you're in the 3d so it, it's, it's it's very uh very cool and it's very uh informative and and nicely uh nicely put together you know these guys are really professionals who worked on it and specifically nathan DeMolin, in the producer he's really a, a cool guy he's, made he's done a lot of work towards getting it ready and uh, i'm looking forward to the, the final package so it should be out um, you know end of november
1: well i've seen the trailer online and if the rest of the package is as good as the trailer it should be an outstanding dvd Yeah,
2: I do. I do also. I I believe so, too. uh, Very confident. And it's nice to have it in that cover, you know, to add that U.S. Open title there. You know, before we were, you know, before I went to print, you know, I won this and he was, you know, my producer was really crossing his fingers so that I would win, you know. I'm sure, you know, it had had something to do with the sales and, you know, um, it's easier to market when a guy has a fresh big title under his belt. Sure.
0: Well, we'll look forward to getting a press release from you on the release date of that, and as soon as we get that, we'll put it up on AZ Billiards.
2: Yeah, I'll make sure. I'll send you guys a,
1: a copy, for sure.
2: Good.
0: Mike, uh, that's all I had. How about you?
1: That's all I've got, Jerry. We may as well let Mika right. get back to celebrating. Indeed. Yeah, I'm going to go celebrate tonight.
0: Yeah,
2: congratulations. Thank you, Mike, Mike, Jerry.
0: And uh, we'll see you down the road. Thank you, buddy.
2: Okay. Thanks, guys. I'll see you soon.
0: Well, that's a happy man, Mika Eminen. He just won the U.S. Open, and, you know, he's got an awful bright future ahead of him, yet he's still uh, a young man, and boy, has he got game, Mike.
1: Yeah, he does. He sure proved it in uh, Chesapeake. And I'm looking forward to seeing these DVDs. They look real good. Um, I don't know about that whole Matrix thing. I hope he's not jumping up in the air like Keanu Reeves, but we'll see.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it looks pretty good, what we've seen. I do want to mention to all our listeners that uh, beginning next week, we're going to have our first auction for the uh, Pro Player Travel Fund. That's the fund that AZ Billiards has set up to help finance our professional players travel overseas. We hope you'll look for it on our front page and in our forums. And please support these players. They need us to compete internationally.
1: That they do. Uh, i not sure what item we're going to have up for the first auction, but that should be up first part of next week.
0: That's right. And uh, we'll talk to some vendors over the weekend and decide which one goes up first. We've got an awful lot to put up there. So, uh, on behalf of our sponsors, that's Tiger Products and Predator Cues, I'm Jerry Forsyth, along with Mike Howerton. We thank you for listening, and we'll be back on the air with another show just as soon as we find something to talk about.